promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. The Holy Gospel on the second Sunday of Easter comes from St. John, the 20th chapter, beginning at the 19th verse. Glory to you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were shut. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Uh, Being the child of an English professor, I was taught to really like a good mission statement, purpose statement, you know, like a good thesis, right? You know, this thing that's to tell you the reason why someone took the time to write whatever it is that they are writing, right? That's kind of good. You want to know the point. You want to know where things are going. When uh, Carrie and Josiah and I, we went for a hike up by Kernville, saw the flowers, it's beautiful. But we got to a place where there was a fork in the road, right? And we'd never been on this trail before, so we're like... That one looks like it's going up, way up in the mountains. This one looks like it's going, which way should we go? And so I brought it up on, on, my, on my maps, and it ended up that they both ended up at the same place, so it really didn't matter. But, but the notion of knowing where you're going, right? Being able to get to the right place. And, and so it's good to have an actual thesis that's put in front of you so you know what's going on. What's really bad is when you're like reading a book, and it takes four or five chapters before they get to their point of like, what... Where is this going? Oh, finally, now I know. Okay. Or, or an article or something like that. Well, leave it to John 
to be one of those guys. He writes almost the entire gospel. If you follow some of the, some of the, the, uh, scholars, they actually believe that this is where the gospel ends and chapter 21 is sort of an addendum to that because no one could understand how Jesus could just love Peter without, you know, having some sort of reconciliation with him. But it, it's good anyways. But, the, the, the reality being that he wrote the entire Gospel of John, and then he finally says, well, the purpose for why I wrote this is a particular thing, right? So that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that you might have life in his name. He wants to make sure that we, that we understand those things. And, and on the surface, those two, two things, Messiah, which is a word we hear a billion times, right? We, we have a whole musical named after it, Messiah, right? And life, two somewhat easy things, because Messiah we hear all the time, and, and life. We, 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 we kind of like life. Uh, but, but we're offered up Jesus as this Messiah because God is a God who offers up Messiahs all the time. Take the time to read the Old Testament. It's full of Messiahs. But here we have big M Messiah, the, the, the Messiah who's, who's given a particular office to liberate people, to bring, to bring rescue, chosen by God to free his people. That's the job of a Messiah. And then we have life in his name. We like that word, life, right? Yes, you can nod your heads. I know you like living. Uh, we, we diet because we want to live, or we cheat on our diet because we really want to live, right? Um, <laughs> We exercise, we take our medication, we go to the doctor, uh, you know, we, we take naps, we go on vacation, we have pets, right? All, all these things that we do in order, because we like life, we like to, we like to live, uh, we want to be able to live, and, and that is actually what we get here from John. He comes to us and he says, what comes in Jesus, this Messiah, this one who's to liberate you, is, is one who brings life to you, who gives to you life. And that's actually what we discover that Thomas wants, okay? Now bear with me here just for a second. All of you have been told, doubting Thomas, right? It's a phrase we use in English all the time. Oh, you doubting Thomas. Why don't you believe, right? Okay. We call him a doubter, but I hate that moniker. I don't think he's a doubter at all. I think what he is, is he's wanting his Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus who was crucified for him, and the Jesus who rose for him. He doesn't want an imposter Jesus. He doesn't want a fake Jesus. He wants a Jesus that he can trust in, this crucified and risen Jesus, the Jesus that shows up for Thomas and says, here I am. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side. Now you try and find another Jesus that can do this, be crucified, die, and rise for you. A Jesus who has actually accomplished something, done something. Why does Thomas want this kind of Jesus? Because a dead Jesus coming back to life is a a Jesus you can trust in. Because he said he was going to do it, right? You don't want that Jesus that shows up who's a pretend Jesus. You want the real Jesus who, when crucified, died, and buried, bursts the bonds of death for you. And that's what Thomas wants. He says, I'm not going to believe unless I see the Jesus that I need, which is this crucified and risen Jesus. If anything, if anything, if we, if we want to blame Thomas for anything, he's lazy. He's a lazy Thomas. He doesn't want a Jesus who shows up and says to him, I got things started off for you, Thomas. 
But you have to finish them now. My, my death wasn't enough. My resurrection was only a, a partially perfect resurrection. Now you better believe more. You, you better do this whole list of stuff. You, you better have a great quiet time every day. You better not yell at your kids. You better go to the right church and be on time. You, you better feed every hungry person. How is every homeless person? Care for every orphan and widow. Visit the imprisoned. You better or else. He, he doesn't want that Jesus. He, he wants the Jesus who comes to him who actually does burst the locked doors of our fears and doubts and speak peace to us, that everything is taken care of, that it is finished, that the rescue mission is done. No need to accomplish anything else because what I have done for you, he wants to say, is enough for you, Thomas. And this can be hard for us sometimes, some of us anyways, especially men, right? Men, do we like being rescued? No, we don't. We don't like calling AAA when we need a flat tire fixed, right? We don't want to ask for directions. We'd rather get lost, right? We don't want to be rescued. We want to be the rescuer. We want to be the one called to come and do the rescuing, right, men? We don't want to think that we can't do things on our own. We, we want to win through our own abilities. It is only when you are made to realize that you are in such a predicament that you need rescue, that you need life in Jesus, that hopefully maybe some of our masculine walls get torn down, walls of pride and self-righteousness and unbelief. And that is the work of this Messiah Jesus who comes to us. The life part that comes through this Messiah, in part comes through that breathing of the Holy Spirit on the disciples, just like the, the breathing of the Holy Spirit comes out upon us in our baptism and confirmation and hearing the word and, and, and um, singing the songs that, that almost come directly from Scripture and, and partaking in the Lord's Supper and, and all these things. But, but this, this spirit that's given to us, given to us as believers, is an empowerment to actually go and do something. And this something is to bring life. And how is that life brought? Because he breathes on them the Holy Spirit and he says, as I was sent, so now you are, and you are to go and do something. To forgive. To forgive sins. How is to, yes, that too. To forgive sins. You may not think that forgiveness is life, but that probably means that you've taken your sins a little, not very seriously at all, a little too lightly. Or maybe you have never been sinned against in such a way that you are imprisoned in that little jail cell of holding everything you can against whoever harmed you, whatever trauma has hit you. The, the word in the Greek for forgive is off eami, and it means a few things, but, but here are some of them. Uh, to dismiss or release someone or something from a place or of one's presence. In other words, when I forgive you, and you forgive me, your sins, my sins, are taken from us, and they're no longer near us. It also means when forgiveness is given to someone who has wronged you, that wrong they have committed against you has been taken away too. That becomes an even greater release and rescue. It rescues you from your anger. It rescues you from that trauma, from the prison of holding the worst parts of the sinner against them. 
And instead, it's, instead, it gives you permission and power to not have to relive that time over and over and over again. And therefore, you are free. You get to live. It also means to free from moral or legal obligation or consequence. In other words, two words, not guilty. Or to separate you from something, to abandon that thing. Uh, uh, in other words, to, to move you away from something, to take you and move you from, from that thing. Uh, anyone thinking of Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west? Come on, finish it. So far as he has removed our transgressions from us. Or to leave something there, such as, you know, you're out on a walk with your children and they decide they found a stick that they want to take home and keep because it's a special stick. And you're like, no, nature belongs outside. We leave it here, right? To leave something there, to not worry about it anymore. And then finally, uh, the the fifth one, um, and this is thank you to Disney and Frozen, let it go. I'm not going to sing for you, I promise. But when you are forgiven, it means for you to let go of those things you cling to or that cling to, to you. Let go of the past. Let go of the present. Let go of the future. Let go of yourself. Let go of your hate. Let go of your fear, your pride, your lack of faith, your own personal piety, which you think makes you more holy than the next guy. You let go of those things, and then you get to live free. That is what it means to have a Messiah, to have a God who rescues you, and then to have life in his name. Like other messiahs in the Old Testament, Jesus comes to bring that freedom and peace. You take the time to read the Old Testament. The whole book of Judges, it should just be messiahs. Because they're all little tiny messiahs given a job to come and rescue God's people, correct? God's people cry out, and what does God do? Raises up somebody for a particular purpose. But when you take the time to actually read the story of those little judges, it doesn't go so well for them. They rescue their people, but then it goes downhill rather quickly. For all of them, it it goes bad, but that's because they were not the Messiah. They were only temporary office holders. What comes in Jesus is the perfect release, the perfect freedom, the perfect work of this Messiah that we need, specifically to put to death the power of death, the power that death has over you, just as the wages of sin is death, so too our sin is the result of our fear of death. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we murder, we covet, we blaspheme, etc., etc., because we don't want to die. And so we see someone else getting along better in life, someone that's maybe getting a promotion over us or, or is faster than us or stronger than us or more pretty or, or whatever the case may be. We worry that someone might have a better life or be more famous and get recognized ahead of us. And so we, we try to figure out a way to knock them down a peg or two. But to trust that Jesus is the Messiah is to trust that he is all you need in this body and life, that everything else is only a means to an end. To trust that you have life in his name means to know that your name is dead. Your name will be forgotten. Your name is destined for the dust heap of history. His name is the name that has power. It is his name when spoken that causes demons to tremble and death to be defeated. It is the only name needed to, quote-unquote, get into heaven. 
Many of you probably have that picture of heaven, right? The, the pearly gates and Peter standing at his podium and he's got that big book that he opens up like a ledger. You know, it's like your academic record from high school and he starts paging through and seeing all those demerits and wondering how you got past security, right? And, and we can thank Gary Larson and other cartoonists for that. But I, like, I, I have a different picture. That's a speakeasy from Prohibition time, you know? A big metal door with a little tiny window. And you knock on the door, right? And they open the window, what's the password? And all you say is Jesus. And the door is opened. Because you get there and you say, all I plead is Jesus. He's the only one I have. The Jesus to forgive, the Jesus to free, the Jesus to love me, a real Jesus, a Jesus who actually died to forgive me and rose to raise me to new life, the Jesus that I can trust in because he says, where I am, you will also be. And that's the Jesus that I want. That is a Jesus that I can trust in. So this purpose, this purpose statement of John, this mission statement, this thesis should actually be the, the purpose or the mission for every church, that you, you might trust that Jesus is your Messiah, your Jesus, and that you might have life in his name. So that everything we do here, everything is connected to that. To trust and know for certain that you have a Messiah should be the work of the church, that you need a Messiah, and that his name is Jesus and trust that you need life because the life you have right now is not life, but death. And that life is in his name. Just as uh, you see the police officers from the, the older, older TV shows, right? They'd be running after the thief. Stop in the name of the law, right? Or, or in, the, in the movies that in medieval Europe where you'd have the, you'd, you'd have the uh, soldiers knocking on the door. That, there's a lot of knocking in the sermon, I'm sorry. They knock on the, knock on the door. Open up in the name of the king. Right? What we trust and cling to is that when our eyes close for the last time, your heart stops, you take your last breath, and in the blink of an eye before you can find yourself comfortable under six feet of dirt or in that pile of ashes in the overpriced vase, Jesus comes by and says, Be opened. Arise. Live in me. Well, that should shelf your fear for at least this afternoon. You come back next week for part two. Trust in Christ, church. Trust that the tomb is empty and death is defeated. Trust that God has rescued you from yourselves and others. Be free to live in Jesus as the freed sinner saint you are and to be free to love your neighbors however you can. Trust that in the end you are at peace because Christ has said so. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us stand together and sing our...